Well, let me welcome back Kevin Luco here to Systematically Wild. And, and Kevin, uh, before diving into too much about specific uh, games and, and play last week, let, let's begin with our our, uh, our guy there, uh, Kaprizov, who winds up being named as the top star in the NHL this week. Well deserved. I mean, just another great week for Kaprizov. And that just goes to show what kind of an impact he can have if things are going well. And you just wonder. Where would this team be right now if he didn't miss those games in January with the injury? And, you know, the the shame of the whole thing is that Erickson, Eck, and Bodie, his linemates, both probably had just as much of a right to be a star of the week, too. But I suppose the NHL are not going to name three players from the same team as stars of the week. So, But congratulations Six. to Kirill Kaprizov. Six goals and six assists in four games last week. That's that's quite a number right there because, uh, you know, that – I mean, I, I understand, like, Wayne Gretzky had nights like that, it seemed like, sometimes. But we haven't, we don't see players having huge weeks like that very often. So congratulations to him. That, that's pretty amazing. And, uh, and the best part about it, Kevin um, – go ahead. Yeah. Well, Kaprizov had not been putting up the kind of numbers that put him among the league elite this year. So I'm glad that he had a week like this where he once again is finally getting the league to notice him once again, whereas it seems like he kind of gets buried underneath um, all the other superstars in the larger markets. Well, you know, the best part about a week like that, Kevin, is that his team went 3-1, and one, and that makes you even feel better that you're playing so well is that it's impacting your team and giving them big success. That is true. I mean, if you would have won 1-3 and three and had that kind of a week, it would have been pretty bittersweet, but it was a good week um, for the most part for the Minnesota Wild. So we were on the air last week, Kevin, when that 10-7 ridiculous crazy victory over Vancouver. Um, they lose on Tuesday in Winnipeg. Tough to play back to back when you're having to travel after a, a, a pretty amazing night the night before. But come away with a four to two victory in Edmonton and a five to two victory in Seattle on back to back nights. So, I think you know two victories out of three road games. You got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, beat Edmonton that had not lost at home since the middle of December. And then you had a back-to-back on it and went in and beat a rusted Seattle team. I mean, that is huge. Winnipeg, I think there was a little bit of an emotional letdown after that game on Monday. You know, both teams had the same situation. Winnipeg was coming back from a game in Calgary on Monday, so they both had the back-to-backs. But I just think that there's just a little bit of an adrenaline drop, I think, after that kind of a game that they had on Monday afternoon against Vancouver. But... Three and one for the week. Yeah, you take that run. Well, we went over the the Monday game because it was an afternoon affair, as Kevin was saying, on President's Day. Um, They come to Winnipeg, head out on the road for this three-game trip, wind up losing six to three. Uh, A a, a tough game because Winnipeg is one of those kind of places, Kevin. Traditionally, there's been some pretty – a bitter rivalry in a sense is that you just never know what you're going to get out of Winnipeg. It's kind of like when the Iowa Wild faced the Manitoba Moose. You still get that very intense kind of games. As you mentioned, they fall behind by three in this game. Never really got themselves to to a place that they had a real chance in this. 
you only lose by three, but they were really never in this game. But you still get Kaprizov with his 24th goal of the season, Marco Rossi with his 16th, and then later his 17th in the game. So these guys continue to produce for him, and I think that's really what you're looking right now is, is to keep these lines moving well. It seemed like it was just an uphill battle for Minnesota all night. They fell behind early and just chased the game from there. And against a team as good as Winnipeg, that's not going to be a good formula for success. Marc-Andre Fleury with 24 saves in the game. Uh, the team then travels on to Edmonton to take on the Oilers on Friday, a 4-2 victory for the Wild. It is Matt Moldy with his 21st goal of the season, 23 seconds left in the first period that gives the team the lead. Dreisaitl ties the score for Edmonton in the second. Then it is a great third period with um, Brodine scoring his fifth goal of the season. Matt Boldy scores his 22nd, and Zuccarella finishes with his 11th and empty net goal to give the team the 4-2 to victory. A nice performance, again, like you talked about. This is an Edmonton team that had been dominating at home, and they get beaten. you got to feel pretty good about, wow, we, we, that's, that's a, a pretty serious streak to bring to an end. And really, Edmonton dominated a lot of the third period, but the, the opportunities that Minnesota had, they took advantage of. Rodin got the the goal to break the deadlock, and then excellent play in the zone with Ryan Hartman working through a defender to get the puck to Boldy. Boldy made a great move on the move, the goalie Calvin Pickard and netted it for the insurance goal, which was needed. And then Zuccarello with the empty netter. So Philip Gustafson was great in the net, too. So it was just a good combo of uh, opportunistic offense and good goaltending. As Kevin said, Gustafson, great 41 saves in the contest uh, to lead the team right there. Then on Sunday night, travel out here, or Saturday, Sunday, Saturday night, travel out to Seattle to, where they earn a 5-2 to two victory in this contest. Uh, Vince Dunn scores his 10th goal of the season at 36 seconds in the contest, and you're like, well, that's not a great start. But five unanswered goals by the by the Wild. Kaprizov with two of those goals, now up to 26 on the season. Uh, Seattle does get a, a goal late in the third, but it was by that point they were pretty much out of the contest. Uh, the Wild wind up getting uh, Marc-Andre Fleury saves 30 after a tough game against Winnipeg. He comes back and is, is outstanding against Seattle. So a nice 5-2 victory for for the club out there. Kaprizov with two goals and an assist, Kevin. And you mentioned, too, it was a good bounce-back game for Fleury, too, after, you know, you can't really blame him completely for the loss in Winnipeg, but um, it didn't seem like he was on top of his game. But he definitely, after the first goal went in on him early in the game on Saturday night, he was solid from there. and. The offense just took it from there. Zuccarello with four assists in the game, Kevin. Uh, he had two four-point games in the week, including the goal and three assists against Vancouver on Monday. Winds up with 10 total points in, in four games. And, um, you know, you mentioned there was a lot of guys who deserved some praise this week and, and could have been considered for stars of the week in the NHL. I think the thing, you're, if you're the team you're just looking at, is you're finally getting some serious offensive production out of your group out there. I'm going to throw the wet towel on this, though, because as good as the top line has been, and you finally got a little something from the, the second line with uh, Marcus Johansson getting a goal on, 
on Saturday night. But, you know, they got to start getting something production-wise out of your third and fourth lines consistently. Rossi had a pair on in the losing effort in Winnipeg, but there is some offensive talent on those second and third lines. You can't just rely on Kaprizov, Erickson, Atkin, Boldy every night. There's got to be nights where maybe those guys aren't on their game and every somebody else has to pick up the load. So I think that's going to be imperative for Minnesota coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see somebody in their D-line, uh, you know, start to really step up their performance too. I mean, you're, you're not really getting much offense generated from this group in general. I think, was it Faber with 30-something points that winds up leading the defenseman right now? And, and that transition game is so important, especially come playoff time, because you've got to take advantage of what, maybe one or two defensive lapses by a club, especially as you get further into the playoffs. Teams don't make a lot of dumb mistakes at that time, and your defensemen have to make some big, quick connections. I'd like to see that group step up. I just don't know if the talent is there to make that happen. I've been impressed with what I've seen so far on Declan Chisholm. I I thought the pairing up with Chisholm with um, Jonas Brodine has been a successful one so far. It seems like Chisholm has a lot of the characteristics that you would see in a Jared Spurgeon, and I think he's made a very good showing for himself so far there. So big week for the team, Kevin. Uh, they are Tuesday night at home against Carolina, then travel Thursday to take on Nashville, Saturday in St. Louis, Sunday in uh, the Sharks come to town. Um, big division games, big conference games that you got going on, and, of course, the Sharks, you got to feel like it's one of those games that you got to go out and win. So what, what do you look ahead for this week for the team? Well, I'd like to see another three in one week. No, easier said than done, especially with the tough division battles. And let's face it, Minnesota has not been very good within the division thus far this season. Carolina, for some reason, in St. Paul has been a good matchup for Minnesota throughout the years. So I got some confidence going into that one. But on the road uh, at Nashville and then St. Louis, they're going to have to – they're going to have to have their A game if they're going to come out of those places with points. And then you can't have the letdown against San Jose on a Sunday. So like to see three and one, I can deal with two and two, but two and two would still be a little shaky when you're considering that you're having to make that, still having to make that climb into a playoff spot that just, it's just hard to gain points in this league. Well, as we're talking here tonight, 66 points for Nashville. They're holding the final wild card spot. The Wild at 62 points. They played one fewer game than the Predators have. But St. Louis also at 62 points, and they played two fewer games than Nashville right now. So you got to think about this as really two teams that you're trying to climb over the top of to get into position. But 7-2-1 and one in their last 10, and I guess you, right now you're just saying, hey, we can't worry about what Nashville's doing. We're just going out there to win our games and let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's what they have done throughout this streak, too, is there doesn't seem to, you know, from the players talking, they don't seem to be talking as much about catching a team for a playoff spot as much as they're just talking about their their team's game right now. You know, if you're playing well as a team, everything else 
the chips will fall where they fall, and if you get in, great. If not, though, then at least you know you went down. You went down with your boots on. So I'm kind of making a run around point with this. What was my point again? <laughs> about uh, not worrying about who's ahead of you and just focusing on winning games. Yes, that's where I think this team needs to be at, and it'll be interesting too as. Marcus Foligno is getting healthy once again, and I talked to him. So I'm, um, I'm going to try this name. I wish I had my media guy in front of me, but it's in my computer case. Miracus Dinov is finishing his season in Russia, and there's talk like they may be able to bring him over for the rest of the season. So that could be a boost to the bottom six in the lineup too. So, you know, He's a young guy, so yeah, I don't think you could put a ton of pressure on him, but it would be a fresh, young body to have on this team as you're going through the grind of a playoff chase. Well, let's drop down in the system, and I'll first ask you, do we have to talk about the Iowa Wild? Well, okay, we will. We are, we are systematically wild, not Minnesotically wild. So, yeah, I'm afraid so. Very tough week. Lose three to one. But now last Monday we were talking. They had snapped their their losing streak there by after losing both games to Texas. They come away with a three to one victory over Rockford last week Monday. But then Rockford comes to stays in Iowa. Excuse me on Wednesday and come away with a three to one win. Then the team travels to Rockford and loses six to three on Saturday. Gets beaten by Chicago in Chicago on Sunday four to three, dropping the team down into sixth place. Really tied with. Manitoba, who has a better winning percentage and has played two fewer games. So this is really the last place team now in the Central Division and, and just a team that is just such an enigma, Kevin. You just never know what you're getting out of this club, it seems like. I watched uh, most of the game on Sunday afternoon and started off with such promise and then it was like almost like it felt like once Chicago made a 3-1, it was like, okay, here we go again. And it, um, of course, ended in a disaster as it, they did get the loser point, but just a, just a tough defeat to take against a team within your own division. Starting with Wednesday night's game, the 3-1 to loss, Rockford scores a single goal in each of the first two periods. Adam Raska scores 12-49 into the third, his second goal of the season to cut the deficit to one. But Rockford able to get an empty hand, empty net shorthanded goal. I was combining those two terms into one. But empty net shorthanded goal with a few seconds left in the game to seal the victory. Jess Revolstead played well, stopped 22 of 24 shots, but a very tough loss against a division foe at home. you got to feel like you, you have to win games like that, and it just didn't. They just never seemed to get the offense going. It was like, I don't know if... Rockford just wasn't giving them much or what, but it just seemed like the Wild were flat most of the game. On Friday, or excuse me, on Saturday, a 6-3 loss in Rockford. The teams exchange goals in the first period. Simon Johansson scores his fifth to tie the game at one. Kevin Conley adds his fourth, 14-10, into the first to tie the game at two. Then Rockford blows this game open with four goals in the second period. It is a very tough day for Zane McIntyre as he stops 28 of 34 shots. Uh, four different guys score goals for the Iowa Wild in this game, but 
Another 6-3 loss there in Rockford puts this team in a very bad spot. Uh, Adam Beckman does add a power play goal late, Kevin, for his 14th of the season. And a kind of a disappointing year for the team in general. Adam Beckman has, I, I thought, carried himself well and, and has really been a solid player for this team. I know there's fans up in Minnesota that are starting to clamor for Beckman to come up and be the savior, but he's having a very good year for Iowa, but I don't see where he's going to fit into Minnesota's plans this year at least. But it's a shame that they had lost him for a while with injury when they did, but since he's been back, he has been on fire, and frankly, he's one of those guys. He's very streaky, and he's on a very good streak right now. So as Kevin was talking about Sunday, Iowa jumps out to a 3 nothing lead. Adam Beckman scores his 15th of the season, 343 into the first. Gavin Hain adds his third of the year. Then Joel Teasdale scores his sixth on the power play, 625 into the second. But it is all Chicago from there as they score two power play goals to pull within one. Uh, Rocco Grimaldi scores his 26th of the season, 31 seconds into the third, and then he adds the game winner, 4-11 into the extra session. This time it is Volstead in, in net. He stops 24 of 38 shots and takes the loss, Kevin. Um, a lot of nights that I'm seeing, I guess you're if you want to see a positive, you're seeing lots of people on the score sheet, but you're only seeing like one point from every one of these guys. And I, and I think this is a team that says to themselves, if we're going to go somewhere, we're going to need somebody or some bodies to come up with two, three goals every once in a while here or have three points in games so we know that there's somebody we can depend on to get a higher productivity for this offense, and they're just not getting it right now. Nick Patan is such a catalyst for that offense, too, and I don't believe he played in either game over the weekend, but he could have been a guy that could have made a difference against Chicago on Sunday. Rocco Grimaldi was just all over the place. You know, the guys had some time in the NHL with Nashville, and I could see where a team come March 8th could someone that needs a little spark and like a on a like a third line guy. I could see where a team could go after Rocco Grimaldi. Keep in mind these guys. Well, actually, most of the guys that are playing for Chicago are NHL free agents, so it could be a thing where a team makes a play for a Rocco Grimaldi because, I, you know, you know what you're getting with them. I'm sure you could get them at a decent price. And, boy, just saw he was just all over the place on Sunday. It just tells me that the guy that wants another shot at the NHL. And, you know, of course, me, I'm thinking, okay, could this guy fit in with Minnesota? And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, Give me a third line with Ryan Hartman, Marco Rossi, and Rocco Grimaldi. I think it, I think you could do something with that. You're not looking for him to score, you know, 11 goals in the last 20 games with Minnesota or something, but he's put up some pretty quality numbers at the AHL level. The last three seasons, he scored over 20, over 26 goals in each of those years, and so he's got some touch. And as you talked about, NHL experience there with Colorado, Florida, I think he was even with for a little while there. And yeah, I believe he started with Florida. And so he's got the skill level out there, Kevin, to just say, if this guy came in and was just a, a spark for the team to add, let's say, six goals in the last 15 or 16 games, but that would that would be a big boost to this club. I, 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 it would be a worth considering to try to see if they could add, add him for – 
I wouldn't figure Chicago can do too much with him because if they are standing in the way of him getting an opportunity to go play in the NHL, nobody's going to want to play with Chicago after that. So they're going to have to work out something because it's in their interest to make sure that he gets that chance to play with an NHL club. I assume that, yeah, I assume these players' contracts with Chicago probably have an out on them where if they're given an offer for for an NHL team that they could leave on their own accord. I mean, I'm just assuming that Grimaldi is not on loan from somebody that he is that he is um, a free agent. And if he's not, well, maybe that's a guy you, you look at make a, making a trade for, you know. Because it sounds like, you know, from reading Michael Russo and Joel Smith up in Minnesota, uh, Brandon Duhame could be a guy that's going to be moved at the trade deadline as he's a upcoming um, unrestricted free agent. And there's even talk about Connor Dewar being a, a piece to dangle at the trade deadline too. So, I mean, you could be seeing some upheaval in Minnesota that is going to open a spot on a third or fourth line. So keep an eye on that. The Wild 18-29-4, and four, Kevin, as I mentioned, 40 points. That's tied for last place in this division right now. They are just one point behind Chicago still for that final playoff spot in the Central. And, and this is really just a, a chase for fifth place right now. Rockford and Texas will battle for third and fourth. Uh, Milwaukee's running away with the division right now. So it's just Grand Rapids through to Rockford that will be determining the three and through four positions. And then Manitoba, Chicago, and Iowa figuring out who winds up getting that final playoff spot. So uh, the team, though, is going to have some chances, though, Kevin, as they will go to Grand Rapids on Wednesday looking to try to get a spark against probably not a team you want to face right now. They will stay in Grand Rapids for Friday's game and then travel to Milwaukee. So uh, a pretty brutal week ahead for the team. Well, you know, these are the teams that they're going to have to beat if they want to get back into the chase for or try to get up to at least the fifth place spot to get at least a, a, a chance for a play-in series for the playoffs. But, you know, every week I say, oh, man, this is going to be a bad week. And then they wind up pulling out something. So I'm going to say that in hopes that that tradition carries forward. It's a bad week for them. I had Kevin, is what I'll say. Okay. Oh, uh, reverse psychology works. Let's drop down to the uh, Iowa Heartlanders, who start the week with a tough 5-4 loss against Wichita on um, Wednesday. I thought, boy, this was a chance to really go after a reeling Wichita team, which is all of a sudden red hot, by the way. Um, but they rebound with nice victories in Cincinnati, winning 5-3 to on Saturday and – excuse me, on Friday and 3-2 to on Saturday. And that's the, that's the ones you really got to win because you're hurting a division opponent at the same time trying to make a move right now. And, and I thought, wow, nice rebound by this club. Yes, it was. I mean, boy, I mean, Cincinnati's not an easy place to go in to get wins, too. So for them to get a pair against the Cyclones over the weekend was huge for this Heartlanders team. Yeah, talking about that, they pulled within two points of Cincinnati now in this division, looking to get out of the cellar. Still just eight points behind both Fort Wayne and Kalamazoo for that final playoff spot. And with 20 games left in the season, that is a lot of hockey left to play. So this team has a legitimate shot. If they could get to 80, I mean, that's a lot of points. I'm going to say 80 points is, is 31 points more than what they have right now. That's a lot. 
But 80 points is going to get them into the playoffs right now. And, and, and this team showed early on the season with great goaltending they were getting, Kevin, that they can produce and, and really battle with the very best of this division. You know, it's, they've shown flashes. I mean, of the three Iowa Heartlander teams in their existence, I, this one has obviously been the best of the three. So, you know, there's some progress being made within the organization, and it's been fun to watch. So starting on Wednesday, Brett Budgel scores his 10th goal of the season, 13-16 into the first. Wichita responds with three goals. Jay Dickman with two of those. Mikel Stanell scores his 20th goal of the season, two of those on the power play for Wichita to give them the lead. Budgel comes back with his 11th goal of the season, a power play goal to cut that deficit to one. Then it is Dakota Ribe. Is that the way you say that? Raby? I'm not sure. And Gus scores his fourth goal of the season to uh, tie the game up. Kobe Walker scores his second, and Mikel Stanell adds his 21st to give Wichita a two-goal lead. And the Casey Dornbach able to cut that deficit to one with 131 left in the game. But that's as close as it gets, Kevin, as uh, Hunter Jones stops 31 shots in the game, gives up five goals, two goals and an assist for Budgel. And uh, the contest is a big offensive star for that night. Um, a very tough night, and it's just Hunter Jones. He just uh, a very. I'm not sure what is going on with him, Kevin. <laughs> I know they want him to do something here, but he, he had a tough game against Wichita. Yeah, statistically speaking, I didn't see the game, so you know, as we talked about on the show, sometimes there's just goals that are given up that you can pin on the defense, or sometimes you got to tip your hand to the shooter, but. There just hasn't been a lot of shutdown games from Jones, so I don't know if he's just running the bad luck when he's out there or if it's just not going good for him. You know, the one thing that's interesting about this series is that I believe now that Wichita and Iowa have faced each other 11 times in all time, and I think every game but one has been a one-goal decision. I mean, just great games every time. So you know you're going to see some exciting action whenever they face off against each other. So that's pretty cool. Well, a nice rebound for the team as they then travel on to Cincinnati, come away with a 5-3 victory on Friday, Kevin. And, and a guy I know you're really hyped on, Drew DeRitter, stops 18 shots in that game, didn't get a lot of work, but ensured that his team came away with a win. And that's how, you know that's all you can ask for all your goaltender too, and the fact that he didn't face many shots um, looks like it was a dominating night for the Heartlanders. Louis Boudin with a hat trick and the natural hat trick, as a matter of fact, is he scores his 12th goal of the season, 5:54 into the first to tie the game at one. Then comes up with the first two goals of the second period, both on the power play. Yuki Mira adds a goal. Uh, the uh, Cyclones do get two goals late in the second to cut the deficit to one, but Anthony Ferriola, I think is the way that's said, Ferriola, I'm going to go with that, scores his third goal of the year, 946 into the third to seal the victory. Uh, Ben Howarchuk, is that Dale Howarchuk's son or something, do you know, or... uh, for an old guy like I myself. Imagine that, uh, would that be some kind of relation? It's not like that's exactly like a name like Johnson or Anderson. <laughs> so, okay, I just saw that and thought, well, that's pretty interesting. Like, Got to be related. I mean, that's just old people like us remember those. I like 36 shots for Iowa net holding Cincinnati to 21. Uh, that's a, a very tough defensive effort against the club that you got to go out there and win games against. So good for the Heartlanders coming away with that win. 
You know, looking on, at the box order, two things that stand out to me. First of all, 6,647 fans in attendance in Cincinnati. That's very impressive. And, you know, the three stars of the game, generally, other than the NHL, a lot of times they like to give stars to their own team, even in a losing effort. But I give them credit in Cincinnati. All three stars of the game went to went to Heartlanders. So credit to them for holding up the integrity of the three stars. Yeah, that even went on on Saturday, too. 10,000 for that game, Kevin. And I don't know if wow. you've got to see a game in Cincinnati. You and I are going to have to go out there and do that sometime because that's a great place to go watch a game. I mean, it's a fantastic stadium. So I, I think you'd like it out there. So we're going to have to go well, check that out. You and I are going to have to do some hockey road games. I've been told that, like, the arena is set up, uh, like, seating-wise. It's the same view that you used to have at the Met Center in Bloomington. So I think maybe that would bring back some memories for me. So Dakota Rabe, which I'm hoping I have his name right, uh, scores twice in that game. Yuki Mira adds his ninth of the season. Um, Peyton Jones gets the third game of the week because we like three goaltenders. He stopped 31 shots. I like three goaltenders when he's stopping 31 shots, so that's always a good thing out there. And the Heartlanders come away with the 3-2 to two victory. I hope I'm saying that right now. Now that I'm talking to Brady, yeah, I am 3-2 victory. Good for me. Okay, so that puts the Heartlanders at 21-24-7, and seven, Kevin. As I mentioned, they are two points behind Cincinnati and eight points behind both Fort Wayne and Kalamazoo for that final playoff spot. And they're going to have some chance to uh, to do some damage this week as they will travel to uh, Indianapolis to take on the fuel on Friday, then Toledo on Saturday. And that is always a, a pretty tough weekend, the stay in Toledo for Sunday. Toledo, not an easy place to win, but um, they're going to have to figure out a way if they're going to do something here. Well, it seems like this Heartlanders team play is a lot better on the road than they have been at home, so it might... Um... Might be a blessing in disguise for them that they are once again going to be on the road this weekend. But boy, that's a tough. Um, that's a tough three games and three days stretch. So we'll see what this team is made of. Well, Kevin, I have to tell you that we have our first fan question of the year related to this, and so I'm going to get your uh, your input on this now. So, so George would like to know. He he says it's it's unlikely that the team is going to wind up making it into the playoffs this season, but would you consider them getting out of last place even in the Western Conference to be considered a more at least a successful season for the team to not finish in last place in the Western Conference this year? I wouldn't put it as successful, but I would put it as progress, if that makes any sense. You know, as a player, yes. you're not going into a season hoping that you're not last place. But if you don't make the playoffs, you got to try to find the positives, and I guess that would be the positive that they did not finish last. You, you know, this is an interesting question for me, Kevin, because, you know, I looked at, like, Vegas came into the NHL, and in their second season, they go and win the Stanley Cup. Okay, so Seattle had a, a big run last year, and they were in their second or third year in the NHL. So, so in the at the NHL level, I think you can have 
because you know expansion draft and all that kind of stuff you you can have quite a run but at this level and i even think maybe in the ahl but at this level for sure it is not easy to be an expansion team and make a major run especially if your nhl club is not providing you with a great deal of assistance so an ECHL team probably takes five years to get at least to a point of competing. So I, I don't. I think if you came away from the season, that as long as your point total is increasing every year, you're having a successful season. And this club has looked a lot more competitive. I think you're. They got to feel really good about what they're doing in in Coralville. Well, as I think we've often talked about in sports, they're creating a culture. And I think with, within that, they've had to go through a lot of players to do that but it seems like the team is starting to find an identity and you're right i mean you can't compare it to the nhl because these expansion teams now in the nhl are getting spoon fed are very good players and it's really easy for them to get 10 right away and on the hl level you got you got a parent club feeding players to you but you just don't have any of that in the ECHL, and you have to you have to grow your team organically, and within that, it's going to take a while for it to find stride unless you decide to go on a big spending spree and find the best of all the other teams in the ECHL and convince them to all go to one spot. Easier said than done. Well, let's talk about a few things at the NHL level before closing out, Kevin. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I think both of us would have at least saw this as a reality, is that Vancouver seemed like a team that had serious aspirations to win the Cup. You might even say that they were the best team in the NHL. Well, they still have the best record. New York, uh, the Rangers, and Boston Bruins just one point behind. Florida, two points behind them right now. A very hot Florida team, very hot New York Rangers team right now. Um, Vancouver looks like they're in some trouble, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you know, it's been a tough stretch for them, and they are, they are a young team, and a lot of these guys are – dealing with success for the first time as NHL players. So it could be a team that hit a bit of a rocky stretch, but it'll be interesting to see what direction they choose to go and come trade deadline if they feel like they're suited for a cup run and maybe they want to trade off some prospects to try to get an impact player or two that could get them deep into the playoffs. The hot teams in the NHL out there in the East, Florida, as I was mentioning, at eight and two. Vancouver, Vancouver, Toronto at eight and two in their last ten. Detroit seven two and one in their last ten. The Rangers nine and one in their last ten. I feel like the West is completely wide open. You don't have a Colorado that's really dominating. Vegas looks okay, but they don't look really great. Could there be six teams right now that you feel like in the West, or more or less, whatever, that could wind up going all the way to the Cup Finals? It's funny because as you're rattling off those teams from the East, I'm thinking the same thing about the Eastern Conference too. I mean, you can never you can never throw Boston under the bus either. So I mean, those teams you mentioned plus Boston, that's looking at a wide open East where five six teams could make a claim there too. But in the West, yeah, I think that's also true. Where you know, in the Central, you've got you know, can Winnipeg. Could Winnipeg be suited for the for a long cup run? Hard to say. Dallas is Dallas. I think is would be one of my picks to go to the Cup Finals. I just don't see a lot of weaknesses with the 
stars. And, you know, as we've seen from watching the AHL team with Logan Stankoven and Maverick Bork, you know, they've got a couple pieces there where they could be making a huge deal come trade deadline for a guy that could get them to the cup finals. Uh, Colorado, obviously, two years ago were the cup champions. And then you go all west and the Oilers had that long hot streak. Vancouver was... Like you said, until recently, they were on a run. Vegas are the cup champions. You can't count them out. And it seems like the LA Kings are fighting the game again. So, yeah, I'd say right now the West is um, the West is gonna it's gonna be an interesting um, playoff chase there. One other thing that I love this season is that guys that you know you kind of watch over the years and you go. I mean, he's, he's, he's a good player, but I don't know if this guy is really able to take his team to another level right now. But I look at the goaltending in Winnipeg and Vancouver right now, and I think to myself, wow, what turnarounds for these guys? And they're getting outstanding performances out of their top goaltenders. Yeah, I mean, Hellebuck's been a pretty good goalie in this league for quite a while, and Prosov finally seems to be finding his game after having some success out in Vegas. And Thatcher Demko, I remember him back from when he was in college. He was a dominant goalie in college, too, and I just knew that he was going to find success at the next level, too. And how about Jonathan Quick making a little resurgence here this season? He's looking, showing some old skill level here as well. You know that's been that's been pretty fun to watch too. I mean, it's been a, it's led to the Rangers having a, some pretty confident choices in gold between Shosturkin and Quick. It's making it exciting. Does uh, Kucherov win the point total race this season? Do you think? Ah, well, you know, I think Austin Matthews could have something to say about that, but Kucherov has been quietly putting up another impressive season, but just doesn't seem like the Lightning want to get on a roll to be considered a factor in the East. I'm rolling with that. Kevin Loco, thanks for joining me this week. Yeah, my pleasure.